0: Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Today we're going to talk about The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece from the year 1980, which celebrated its 40th anniversary on May 23rd. Today's episode will mostly be about my theories about this film, so yes, there will be spoilers, and... I know you've seen this movie, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) So let's do a super quick recap. Jack and his wife, Wendy, and his telepathic son, Danny, spend winter months in the Overlook Hotel, where Jack is the caretaker, and he spends time there to work on his novel, but he slowly loses his mind, because all work and no play make Jack a dull boy, as he gets visits from ghosts in the hotel, including the previous caretaker who killed... His wife and daughters, and talks Jack into doing the same, killing his wife and son, which he fails to do. There you go. That's <laughs> this movie's like over two hours long, and I just uh, recapped it in under a minute. That's a new record for me, only because I know you've seen this movie. <laughs> so uh, let's just get straight to the reason we're here. Uh, Talking about the movie, a movie that I've noticed that people tend to either love or hate. And uh, I know people say that about a lot of movies, but I really feel like with this one in particular, it's especially true. Uh, My observation has been that people who hate it tend to find the movie too long and dull. (laughs) I guess, you know, people like their horror films paced a little quicker with more action and more violence. and You can't blame them. That's usually how I would like my horror films. This one is a little different. It's a Stanley Kubrick film. I am a fan of Stanley Kubrick. I think he's a genius. I think he uh, he's a perfectionist. I think he makes brilliant films, or he made brilliant films. He's no longer with us. And I went into this movie, or I, I go into this movie, knowing what to expect. Not your typical horror film. People who hate the movie claim that there's too many scenes where nothing happens. I happen to think that there's so much information to absorb in each scene that there's constantly something happening. Now, you may ask, if you're one of those people, well, how could that be? Well, each frame is filled with clues and symbolism that is ambiguous enough that it allows each viewer to interpret the film in their own way. I get that some people hate that, People prefer straightforward storytelling. Another reason people may hate it is because it's different from the novel, which leads to the question, does a film adaptation have the responsibility to just show the viewer everything that happened in the book without changing a thing? And my opinion is no, which is funny because my opinion used to be yes. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to see movies that were based on books that I've read, and I'd get irritated and frustrated that they change things. But now over the years, I've just completely changed my mind. I feel like the only responsibility the filmmaker has is to be entertaining. Because if I watch a movie that's based on a book and things have been changed, yet I'm still entertained, why would I prevent myself from liking the movie just because they changed things? Um, I think that I've really come to accept over the years that stories change change depending on on who the storyteller is which is similar to like hearing someone tell an urban legend or a ghost story the gist of the story is the same but details change and how good the story is is based on how good the storyteller is and the same thing with jokes you know when people tell you a joke and before they start the joke they may say stop me if you've heard this one before well (laughs) when people tell me a joke that i've heard before i don't stop them Even if I know what the punchline is, I want to hear that person tell a joke. I want to hear if they're good at telling a joke. And there have been times where I've heard people tell jokes with the same punchline, but with a different journey that leads to that punchline. And sometimes it's better than previous versions I've heard of it. And jokes are like miniature stories, right? So it's all about how good of a storyteller are you? In the case of Stanley Kubrick, he is a master for storyteller, which is... Great, because Stephen King is a masterful storyteller, and it's hard to improve upon his work, and I think that's where people take offense. They think that maybe by changing it, they think that maybe he thinks that he's improving upon it. And who knows, maybe he does think that. But if you like it, it doesn't matter what he thinks, it's about what you think. I do like it, so... I've given myself permission to like the original novel by Stephen King, which I have read, and to like this film. So this leads to my general explanation of my theory on what happens in The Shining. Now, the thing about theories is, like opinions, sometimes they change. I recognize that I could watch The Shining down the road and come up with different opinions, different theories. But I don't think that cancels out my previous theory, if it's a good one. And they're not theories that I invent based on things that I think to be true. Uh, They are based on clues that were provided to me by watching the movie. So observing the information that's on the screen, it led me to try and figure out what they meant. And this is what I came up with. So here's my theory. (laughs) And who knows, maybe these are theories that you've had too. So let me know on Twitter if you've had similar thoughts. The Everlook Hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. Not only is that disrespectful to not let the dead rest in peace, but it's an Indian burial ground. Anything built over it would be disrespectful, but a hotel seems to be even worse. Not only do white people steal their land... But now they take vacations on their resting spots. The spirits of the dead create a collective revenge energy that takes over the building, the the Overlook Hotel. This energy can enter a person and make them violent. And their anger is equal to the collective pain that an entire race of people feels being wiped out and then disrespected after death. This violent, angry energy that possesses someone makes them kill. Now, each person killed on this ground is doomed to spend eternity there. The person who is targeted to be the tool of violence is the one who is most able to see the ghosts because the ghosts use that person's ability to see them, to manipulate them, to kill. That is their goal. They work on behalf of the hotel, and the hotel needs blood. Lots of blood have been spilled on the grounds of this hotel. The amount of blood that pours out of the elevator in Danny and Wendy's visions is the blood that has been spilled on these grounds. In between long moments of death, the hotel loses a bit of its mojo. Once blood is spilled again, the hotel has gas in its engine once again. And that's why Wendy can now also see the ghost in the hotel once Dick Holleran is murdered. Danny can see just because he's gifted with telepathy. I don't think the hotel can just get anyone to kill. I believe it helps if the person targeted is already disturbed. And that's why the hotel picks Jack and not Wendy. Jack has a rage in him that the hotel knows it can draw out. And this is something that we know in the beginning of the story because we hear about the time that Jack dislocated his son's uh, arm when he came home drunk and saw that his papers were all over the floor and he yanked him and he hurt the boy. Now, Jack's biggest problem is... That he's living a lie. He is a closeted homosexual. He's seen early in the film, reading Playgirl magazine. Even before he snaps, he never speaks to his wife with love and compassion. You watch the way Jack talks to her. He hates her before he even goes crazy. He resents her, for being the physical embodiment of the prison he feels stuck in, Jack refers to her at one point in the movie as a sperm bank. She's nothing more than a human host for his offspring. When Jack is confronted by the nude woman in room 237, he does lust after her and kiss her, so I know how that could contradict my theory, but I believe she's like a siren or like a succubus, in that she could get anyone to lust after her. Like, Wendy's a heterosexual, and you know I'm convinced that if she went into that room, she would also fall under the ghost's spell. That's just what she does. I know some people believe that Jack tried to molest Danny when he had hurt him, as I've heard this theory. And um, I'm not so sure I believe that. I do think Jack's story of yanking his arm too hard when he came home to see his papers all over the place is believable. I think it was just... Um, rage. Although Jack does not succeed at killing his wife and son, he himself freezes to death and dies on the grounds of the hotel. His soul now belongs to the hotel. We then see a photo in the hotel of a 4th of July party dated 1921. Jack is in that photo. He's now officially trapped in the hotel. He was doomed the moment he took the job. When his boss gives him and his family a tour of the hotel, when they first arrive, as they are walking, you can see a man in the background with his back turned to the camera working on something dressed in the same clothes that Jack wears in the final act of the film. It's as though he's always been there. Which reminds me of the scene where Grady tells Jack in the restroom, you were the caretaker. You have always been the caretaker. He was damned from the beginning. Now, Danny calls for help from Dick Halloran using his power, The Shining. And maybe the first time you saw the film, you were hoping that Dick would save them. And he doesn't, in theory. Jack murders Dick, so that leads you to believe that he failed. Uh, He doesn't fail, because Jack sabotaged the snowcat so that Danny and Wendy wouldn't be able to escape the Overlook Hotel. And they need to escape that hotel and Jack. But because Danny called for help from Dick, Dick arrived to the Overlook Hotel in a working snowcat. This is the vehicle that gives Wendy and Danny the opportunity to escape. And that's why they survived, because of the shining and using it to call Dick and Dick responding now, The Shining has a sequel. The film is called Doctor Sleep. It came out last year in 2019, and it is an adaptation of a novel by Stephen King that came out in, I think, 2013. I have never read the book, but I did see the movie. Now, I was a little curious if that movie would contradict any of my theories because I didn't watch. I watched Dr. C for the first time the very next day. And you know, you come up with these ideas while you're watching the movie, the shining the day before. And then you go, I wonder if the other movies are going to tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Like they're going to over explain, which I, I didn't want to happen. I do like mystery. I think mystery can preserve a film. I think as long as it is there and it gives people the opportunity to talk about it over the years, then it gives the movie a longer shelf life. And then when you remove that mystery and say, this is the reasons I think that it kind of takes the air out of the balloon and makes it less special. And that's just my opinion. And Dr. Sleep doesn't really do that. It's an entirely new story and it's a continuation specifically of Danny's life. And I'm not going to give you spoilers of it because I think you should check it out. Um, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as The Shining, but I did like it a lot. And I didn't know how much I was going to like it. It's a long movie. There's two versions of it. One cut is, uh, gosh, I want to say about two hours and a half. And there's one that's about 20 minutes longer. That's the one I saw, the director's cut. And it's good from the beginning of the movie. Like I knew right away it was a good story. But it took me until about the one hour and 40 minute mark for me to go, Ooh, I am hooked. I'm really invested in the story. And then for the rest of the film, I was like even more impressed. So even if you're against the idea that it exists, I think it's worth at least giving it a chance. I have this idea that's pretty silly. What if they did a play of The Shining. And I'd rather it be a play and not a remake because I don't really want to see a remake of The Shining. And for this to work, it would have to be a scene for scene retelling of Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining. So I especially wouldn't want it to be a remake. So what if you did a play that was an adaptation, not of the novel, but of Kubrick's version of The Shining, and you casted Christian Slater to play Jack Torrance? Huh? Huh? <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. Kristen Slater has always been accused of doing a Jack Nicholson impression in his movies. And I think at the beginning of his career, it was kind of a put down. But now I think people are more forgiving and more (laughs) tickled by it because, you know, we're past that. Plus, a lot of those movies are good. A lot of those movies, especially Heather's, has become cult classics. So we really love those movies and we love Kristen Slater in those movies. And one of the things we love about him is that... He plays those parts like Jack Nicholson. So now that Jack, excuse me, now that Christian is older, old enough to play a father, he could possibly be perfect to do his performance of Jack Torrance. I guess the same joke could apply to any Jack Nicholson movie, but I think more than any other Jack Nicholson movie, the one I would want to see Christian Sitter do is The Shining, because it's such a definitive Jack Nicholson performance. It's it's possibly my favorite Jack Nicholson movie of all time. I can think of another one that I think is better. <laughs> but like I said, that's just my opinion. Um, the Shining was the first movie I ever bought when I first got a Blu-ray player. And I know that because it was just that one movie. Like I know a lot of people, when they buy something like a Blu-ray player, Uh, They may buy a stack of movies, which is smart because, you know, you can only watch that one movie one time. (laughs) I mean, you watch it a bunch of times, but you really want to move on to your next movie as soon as you're done with it. And I didn't do that, Uh, I guess, because I spent most of my money that day on a Blu-ray player. So I had enough left over for at least one movie. And I want The Shining. And you never forget stuff like that. I think that especially if it's a great movie that you love, you're proud of your first movie. So I thought this was an appropriate place to bring that up. About mm, 10 years ago or so, maybe a little over 10 years ago, I visited a friend of mine in San Diego, and he lived near a movie theater that would play midnight movies. So they'd show cult films at midnight. The previous year, I had visited my friend, and we went to a screening of Labyrinth which was a lot of fun, especially considering that not only am I a fan of Labyrinth, but I didn't get to see Labyrinth in the theater when I was a kid. I missed it. So I saw it for the first time on television. And I never saw The Shining in the theater. But that year I got to, that year being the following year when I visited him, because I asked my friend, what are they showing tonight? He said, I don't know. Let's just drive by there. You hop in, go to the box office, ask them. And if they say a good movie, we'll come back tonight. So he drove up to the curb. I ran up to the box office. I asked, hey, what are you guys playing tonight? We're playing The Shining. Okay, that's good to know. (laughs) So I run back to the car, jump in and say, oh yeah, we're definitely coming back. I remember entering into the auditorium. Finding my seat, very excited. The lights dim. The movie starts, and then in stereo, coming from all different directions, surrounding me all over the movie theater, I hear the sound of cans popping open, pop 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 pop. And I, I, you know, I can't prove it, but I'm I'm fairly certain people snuck beer into the theater. (laughs) They came prepared. This is not the first time that I've talked about The Shining on the internet. I have a YouTube channel called Isaac's Haunted Beard. I don't make videos very often, but I do once in a while. And about five years or so ago, I did a video on The Shining. If you want to watch it, you can go to my channel. I believe the video is called simply Isaac's Haunted Beard on The Shining. I didn't rewatch it before making this podcast episode because I kind of remember what I said on that video and I knew that I wasn't going to say anything that I was going to repeat here. Although now I'm starting to second guess that I (laughs) might've said a couple of things, not so much my um, stories about, you know, seeing it in the theater or maybe getting it on Blu-ray, but more so my theories. I knew that my theories were new to to uh, the internet. And uh, I also knew the tone was different. <laughs> I knew I was a little bit more playful about, about uh, talking about the film as we're, this is a little bit more of a serious conversation. Well, what I'd like to know is a couple of things from you. First of all, do you have any theories about The Shining? You know there's an entire movie about nothing but theories about The Shining? It's called Room 237. Over the years, a lot of people have developed theories about this particular movie. Enough to fill an entire documentary about nothing but Shining theories. I actually like that documentary. But it doesn't mean that I agree with all these theories. I certainly enjoy hearing them all. Some of them truly sound like a stretch. <laughs> and uh, others actually are, are fascinating. I, I, I think you should check it out if you're a fan of this movie. And if you're just an, a fan of the concept of theorizing about this film. You should check out Room 237. There's a mini series. The Shining that was done for television in, I want to say 1997, in which I think Stephen Webber plays the Jack Torrance part, and Stephen King himself wrote the teleplay for that miniseries, and I do have that miniseries on DVD. And I've heard different opinions about that, about that miniseries. Some people hate it. Some people like it. I like it. Um, I don't like it as much as the film. But I do like it, and one of the things I liked about it was that it was more faithful to the book. So it's nice that that's out there. One of the things I didn't like about it was I didn't like the performance of the child actor who played Danny. I found it to be uh, a little annoying. That's the thing about kid actors is... When they're great, they're great, but when they're not, they usually just come across as very fakey, you know? They they don't even seem like kids being kids. They seem like kids doing an impression of a kid, which I can't stand. And the kid in the um the Kubrick version is is excellent. As is as is everybody in the movie. Wendy is amazing. I mean, I've heard the stories that Stanley Kubrick was um kind of bullying her and torturing her on set set just to kind of drive her nuts to bring out that hectic performance that she gives. And I think that's horrible, but there's nothing, I mean, I'm not going to, I hope you don't sound, it doesn't sound like I'm making excuses for him. But what I was going to say is that, you know, unfortunately I can't do anything about that. I can't change that. But, What I, what we're stuck with is what's on the screen and what is on the screen is amazing. Like, I think that Shelley Duvall's performance as Wendy is, uh, wonderful, you know, as is, um, Scatman Crothers who plays Dick Holleran. He's so instantly likable. I love the sound of his voice. I love his face. I love the way he looks, um, (laughs) It's pretty solid across the board. And it's such a perfect looking film. Wow. Well, <laughs> if you would like to revisit this perfect looking film. <laughs> and if you would like to come up with your own theories of what this movie may or may not be like. Or if you just want to spend time in the Overlook Hotel and not bother with trying to figure out symbolism. And just appreciate uh, a movie about a man who goes mad, <laughs> who goes crazy and tries to kill his family with an axe. You can rent this movie for $4 at all the usual digital places. Um, as far as streaming is concerned, I'm pretty sure it's not currently streaming anywhere, but I have noticed that The Shining tends to pop up on Netflix every now and again. So, if that, I mean, if that's important for you, You can always just wait it out. It's just, there's certain movies that always kind of come and go on Netflix. And that's definitely one of them. It also seems like the kind of movie that if you love, you probably already own it. But if you don't, and you would like to collect it um, on Amazon.com. Right now it's available for $10 on DVD. There's also a a Blu-ray that's $10. That's the same one that I bought the first time I I bought my first DVD, uh, first Blu-ray. (laughs) I almost said my first DVD. For the record, my first DVD was Enter the Dragon. And there's also a new 4K Blu-ray that goes for $20. I don't often uh, double dip and upgrade, but The Shining is worth it. I think one day I'll have to get the superior, what I'm guessing would be the superior version of the film. And sometimes, you know, with movie darks, even if, if it's not end up being like, So much better than what you already have. Sometimes you just love a movie so much that you just like having more than one copy of a film. Because you just enjoy seeing that title appear on your shelf a few times. (laughs) You know, there are certain movies that I own multiple copies of. And I don't need to. I just like having the different covers on the different formats. And it just kind of shows a history that I have with the movie. And I'm surprised that I don't have more copies of The Shining. So I really should. And uh, you should too. (laughs) You know, before I go, I just want to mention this one thing that's kind of dorky. But, you know, I'm a dork. You know that. You, You listen to the show. The photograph that appears at the end of the movie shows that Jack is now a part of the hotel. And he's kind of always been a part of the hotel. And it has a date on the bottom that says July 4th. 1921 next year on july 4th 2021 we should all watch the shining to celebrate the 100th year of the anniversary of jack torrance being in that photograph and it's weird because fourth of july right it's the middle of the summer shining is like a winter film people tend to watch it when it's cold December, January, February. Plus, a lot of people watch Jaws on the 4th of July because that's such a significant date in the film Jaws. Maybe you could do a double feature. It would be a great double feature, right? Two horror masterpieces by two talented filmmakers, Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg. Let's do it. The Shining, July 4th, 2021. (laughs) Thank you for spending time with me as you know, I really appreciate it. I love talking about movies. I love spending time with you. And I love The Shining. So (laughs) until next time, don't forget, all work and no play. Make Jack a dull boy. Aloha.